Hi, welcome to my CBT podcast. This is Dr. Julie Osborne. As always, I appreciate you sharing and taking the time to join me and learn some CBT tools to make your life even a little better. So I got a new review this week I wanted to share with everybody and give a little shout out to Sally, who I really appreciate you taking the time to give me a review on my Apple Podcasts. So she said, eager for more. I love listening to this podcast every week. I can't wait to hear what Dr. Julie has to say next. Thank you for sharing your knowledge and keep up the good work. So thanks, Sally. I really appreciate that. And as everyone that's listening, I always encourage you, if you listen on Apple Podcasts to rate, review, and subscribe, the more people that review and I can get my message out to more people to help, which would be great. And as you know, I'm always open to having questions that I can address here on the podcast. So feel free to do that and reach out. I know I also mentioned last week that if you are looking for CPT therapy, we're all doing telehealth at the moment due to COVID-19. And uh, the majority of the states is allowing me to do telehealth across state lines. And there's some other states I'm licensed in. So I'm available that way as well if you want to reach out. And I just want to reach as many people as I can. You know, my intention is to teach CBT to everyone, especially those that maybe don't have the resources for therapy or haven't learned it before. As a refresher for those of you that have had CBT already and for all of us to just kind of be there and support each other through some difficult times and again, working to be the best we can be. So today, my podcast is about addictions which is a really broad term, right? Because there's lots of things that we can be addicted to. And CBT is excellent for dealing with your addictions. So let me just start with saying, before we get to the specifics, you know, that we all face problems in life, stressors, anxieties every day, right? And this is a fundamental part of the human condition. So there's no escape in this basic truth. You know, indeed, challenges help us to grow, actually, and we all need those in our lives. And the normal process is to perceive a problem and then bring our emotional and thinking abilities into play in order to solve the problem. And we can draw on our own legacy of experiences and we can find support from our life partners, our friends, our community to get support regarding whatever we're going through and using our own body of knowledge and our own spiritual resources if that's a part of your life. So faced with the problem, we experience some anxiety, of course, and this uncomfortable feeling motivates us to solve the problem in order to find our balance again. In the problem, whatever it might be, there's a process, and hopefully we become more flexible and more adept at dealing with problems in the future. And as we mature, we discover that problems are not insurmountable, and we can get better at problem solving, right? So this is really where we want to get to in our lives. But consider, however, the addictive way of dealing with problems. The addict, too, faces life challenges, and rather than easing the anxieties associated with the problem, by drawing on the diversity of the healthy resources for a solution that hopefully most of us have, the addict knows that ultimately there's always the alcohol, the drug, the food, the gambling, the sexual outlet, the work, any addictive substance or activities which will ease the anxiety. So the problems are never solved in the real world, and the addict instead develops the illusion that the problem has been solved. The pain is gone, and there's no perceived need to work on solving the real problems. And that's where the addiction continues. Unfortunately, it is the children, the partner, the family, and the friends of the addict who must suffer. And their needs for comfort, nurturance, and safety are compromised, 
since the addict's primary relationship is not with them, but with the addictive substance or behavior. And instead of finding true meaning in life, the addict pursues a primitive you know, quest for the feeling of pleasure and power over their life challenges. And it's those who truly matter in the addict's life who will suffer greatly. So this podcast isn't just for those that are the addict, but also family members that are involved and have loved ones in your life. It's really difficult, but there's a lot of resources. And like I said, the CBT can be really helpful. I want to share some personal history with myself with all this. And I got permission from my wonderful husband, who I love dearly, to share his story a little bit that my husband, Anthony, has been sober for 28 years. And I've had to learn at the beginning, you know, what all of that meant regarding him staying sober and what did he need to do to stay sober and have the support in his life. And, you know, I was like being number one, right? <laughs> Maybe most of us do. And so I had to adjust that his sobriety actually came first in his life because without his sobriety, we wouldn't have us and we wouldn't have our family. And I came to really respect that and support that when he was really involved at the beginning of his sobriety. You know, he went to meetings all the time. I went with him, which I recommend anybody out there who's dealing with maybe, especially if it's new, someone in your life getting sober, you know, go to the meetings with them. There's also, which we'll talk about, you know, different kind of meetings for family and friends who are dealing with people that are addicts or alcoholics. But going to his meetings and listening to other addicts talk and their stories gave me a much deeper understanding because I didn't, you know, I didn't grow up with any addictions uh, regarding alcohol or drugs in my family. Neither of my parents, none of my close relatives. It just wasn't a part of my life. So I didn't have a good understanding. And so going to the meetings really allowed me to understand at a deeper level what this was all about. Going to the meetings also where they follow the 12 steps that was really worked for my husband. And I really believe in the 12 steps. Whether you have addiction in your life or not, uh, the 12-step program is just a great way to live. You know, it's about being honest with yourself every day, you know, being honest with those in your life, making amends when you need to, focusing on what you have control over and what you don't have control over in your life. So, you know, there's a lot of great things. So I do have a really good understanding of this, and I'm grateful that my husband chose this path in his life so that we could have the life we have. And um, I know my children have really benefited and understand the program, and they're grateful that their father, you know, chose this for himself as well as all of us before, you know, our relationship even started. And I hope that anyone out there that's suffering now, you know, after listening to this podcast, maybe you'll be willing to reach out and get some help or be honest with yourself because you don't have to keep suffering. And there is help out there. And I got to tell you, I've met some people that says, oh, you know, I don't want to go out with or date anybody, you know, that like is sober because I want to, you know, do my thing. And, and I understand that. And that's a choice somebody might make. But what I wanted to say regarding that is I've met many, many, many people that are sober and they're probably some of the healthiest people I've ever met in my life when they work the program because of what I just said a few minutes ago about having to be honest with yourself on a daily basis, you know, and be accountable to other people. And always thinking about what your intentions are and the choices you're making. So, you know, you may look at it as a negative, but it's really creates a healthy individual and human being and and gets a sense of community, right? And being there for other addicts. And, And he'll always be there for other addicts and alcoholics that are suffering because that's how giving back and being of service 
I also wanted to add that I've met a lot of people that are nervous to go to meetings the first time, which I understand. But, you know, I share with them that, you know, as a newcomer, you're what keeps things going and that people, no matter how long they've been sober, are so grateful when a newcomer comes in so they can be there for them. And, and also, you know, it reminds them that I don't want to go back to where that person is. They remember, you know, you don't want to forget your past all the time because it keeps you in the present and keeps you going forward. So again, I appreciate my husband allowing me to share this with you, but I have a really deep understanding and it's even brought, I would say me being with Anthony and learning the 12 steps brought a lot more spirituality back into my life, which I am very grateful for as well. So with that being said, let's talk a little bit more about addictions and how CBT can help and what resources there are for you as well. So you know, it's true that all of us as human beings are all pleasure seekers, and we have pleasure centers located in our brain, right? Which you probably heard about this, but, you know, when activated, they're associated with feelings of euphoria, and this happens to us every day. So during the day, we go through naturally occurring periods when we feel comfortable, secure, happy, and fulfilled, and this is followed by periods when more negative feelings might happen, right? So things I talk about, anxiety, insecurity, discomfort. And as humans, we're highly reinforced by positive feelings of pleasure, and we want to experience euphoria again and again. But unfortunately, or fortunately, I should say, that's not all there is to life. But addictive behavior can be seen as an attempt to control our daily cycles by maximizing pleasure and feelings and decreasing the frequency of the negative feelings, because that's what we're all trying to run from, right? At first, we might even succeed for a while in doing this, but our basic nature is a way of catching up with us. So we probably need to do our own phases of the daily cycle as much as we need the more positive ones as well. And for no other reason than the negative parts of the cycle help us appreciate the positive ones, right? When we're dealing with negative. Our negative experience strengthen us and help us to become survivors. And they assist us in learning wisdom and integrity. So there are a few things in nature which are not cyclical. Attempts to find constant pleasure through addictive behavior are always futile. And the negative phase always revisits us and brings balance back into our lives. There's no escaping our basic nature, and there's no escaping the escalating and debilitating results of the quest for constant pleasure, which is something we're always driven towards. So addiction is an uncontrolled search for gratification through a relationship with a substance or activity to the exclusion of other more diverse life experiences. So I know that's a big definition there, but just kind of give you a feel for it. And the substance or activity, which the addict forms a relationship, varies with each person. So common you know, types of addiction are alcohol, of course, tobacco, illegal drugs, prescription medicine, right? Number one problem in our country. Sex, love, food, shopping. That includes shoplifting for some people. Gambling television, computers, video games, pornography, and work. So as I said at the very beginning, addiction comes in many different forms. And the addictive quest for pleasure has some defining characteristics. So let's talk about that. So many addictions aim to increase your arousal. So this is the all-powerful feeling that might come from cocaine, amphetamines, the first few drinks of alcohol, shoplifting, sexually acting out, video games, or gambling. The feeling, however, is eventually undermined when the addict realizes that the dependency has been formed and a feeling of fear replaces a feeling of being all-powerful because the fear of losing the source of the addiction and the fear that others will find out how powerless the person actually is. Negative experiences always accompany 
the positive feelings the addict is seeking. And one thing I want to add here too is a lot of times when I have talked to addicts that when they do get sober, it's not just the drug that they're dealing with and maybe missing, but it's the whole process of getting the drug and making the phone call and going and getting it. And, you know, the, which I never had any insight into that until I, you know, learned from my husband and other people that, you know, there's so much to it and the lifestyle, but I can tell you that nobody's happy being an addict. You know, nobody plans on becoming an addict, right? Nobody says, I'm going to become an alcoholic. It kind of happens. You know, alcoholism especially is very progressive disease, but it's kind of slow. It could take years for you to get to that point, maybe shorter, but it could take years. Some drugs are a lot faster, you know, cocaine and meth and all that stuff. You can become addicted much quicker, but nobody plans. People must be, oh, I'm just going to have some fun. I'll try it once. And you don't know, am I going to be that person that becomes addicted or am I one of those people that, you know what, I can do it once and I can let it go. And you don't know. So that's something to be aware of. A lot of people that I think are kind of ignorant to understanding, you know, the ignorance is just not being educated, understanding the addicts that they're thinking that these addicts are enjoying what's going on at this point, And they're not. I mean, you see, you know, especially a lot of people that are homeless, have the addiction or alcohol problems. I mean, these aren't happy people. They're struggling, you know, and they would like to be better. So it's important to always have that empathy and understand the struggle of other people. And, and this, this was not their intention. I, I don't believe that at least. There's other addictions that have different, you know, variables to it. So the feeling of happiness and fulfillment that might be achieved through the use of heroin, marijuana, tranquilizers, pain meds, watching TV or overeating, that feeling of sedation serves to camouflage a person's underlying pain. And however, negative feelings always show themselves no matter what. So the person who strives for this not only re-experiences the underlying pain, when the feeling wears off, but also experiences the grief accompanied by the loss of the high. Addicts have to increase the dosage of the drug or the frequency of the addictive acting out behavior to cover up their original pain, right? Because that's what they're running from. And the quest for the high takes over the person's life until ultimately the pain returns in the form of despair. So it's just a horrible cycle that they go through. You know, you want to also understand that, you know, the quest for pleasure exemplifies our quest for power as well. So pleasure and power are two primitive behaviors and they're experienced by children in the earliest years of life when the range of experiences is focused largely on forming one's sense of self. Adulthood brings us beyond these simple levels of experience to be more complex, we're more diverse, and meaningful way of relating to the world as adults. And when we move past pleasure and power, we're able to form intimate relationships with other adults to contribute to society, to understand our responsibilities to others, and to incorporate moral convictions into our actions. So addictive behavior prevents us from achieving these more complex levels of behavior found in adulthood. And it's true, I've, I've heard this and I've shared this with people, that uh, when people really start using drugs at this level, that emotionally that's where they've stopped growing. So when you meet somebody, you're like, man, they seem like a teenager. If they started using drugs and really becoming an issue, when they're 15, 16, 17, that's where their maturity, that's where they stopped, you know, developing emotionally and developmentally. So that makes a lot of sense. So there's lots of different behaviors that, you know, addicts have. So I'm going to go over some of those as we move along here. So one is, you know, acting out. So addicts create a mood through a change in their behavior that sets the stage to go into the addictive high. So 
Sex addicts will purchase pornography material. Drug addicts will make the call to the drug dealer. These acting out behaviors are primarily part of the addictive process, as I was mentioning earlier, and serve to shift the addict's mood. During the acting out stage, the addict feels the illusion of being powerful and in control, when in reality, they're obviously out of control, right? If this is how they're living their life. There's also the illusion of nurturance. Most of us seek ways to achieve nurturance in times of stress, right? Reaching out for support and people that we love. But for the addict, the nurturing is temporary and doesn't allow the person to find ways to solve problems in a realistic way. So they don't develop like what we would consider normal coping mechanisms, right? Or learn how to resolve problems and feel good about it. Addiction is a way of living in which life's problems are avoided in favor of the search for the next high because that feels better. Although addicts might understand rationally that addictive behavior will not solve the problem, they develop their own logic to rationalize the continuation of the addiction. A lot of people that are addicts, you know, lie a lot because they need to lie to keep the addiction going. So the addictive object becomes the person's primary relationship. And addicts seek to meet their emotional and their intimacy needs through achieving a high until eventually this becomes their most important relationship, which is really sad. And they experience a mood change and become to believe that their emotional needs have been met. This is the tragedy of addiction because the addict shuts out other people the community, and the search for spiritual answers, the real way to deal with life's issues in a healthy manner. Other people are used, not for true relationships, but merely as props to pursue the addiction. So obviously a lot of people feel used, and the addict might lie about wanting to get close, and maybe that's how they end up, you know, taking something from you or getting you to lend them money so they can buy their drugs. There's a lot of manipulations going on, and, and a lot of people get hurt along the way. So the addict withdraws from the world, right? The normal way to achieve intimacy is to reach out to other people. And for the addict, where the primary relationship is with the addictive substance or behavior, the illusion of intimacy means pursuing the addictive high, and that excludes other people. So the high gives a feeling of warmth, control, and well-being, and the feeling that the need for intimacy has been met. Unfortunately, the longer the addict engages in this process, the more lonely and isolated he or she becomes. And when the pain of isolation becomes intense, the stage is set for the addict to engage in more acting out behavior and the pattern becomes entrenched and escaping is really difficult. Although lots and lots of people get sober and have a wonderful life past this. Not everybody, but it does get more difficult the more the addiction gets embedded and entrenched in their behavior. And then addicts end up trusting the high more than other people. So addicts begin to trust the mood change that comes from engaging in the addictive behavior and they feel isolated from other people and find that others might not always come through for them. The high, on the other hand, is consistent and always available. They trust the high more than they trust others. So unfortunately, because the addicts have not engaged in the normal interactions that occur between people, they lack the experience in working through the nuances of relationships in order to find ways of getting their needs met through others. This entrenches them in the belief that their addiction is their only friend. It works every time while friends are not always there. And that's the lie they tell themselves. So let's get to the recovery because there's good news, <laughs> but I just want to give you a layout to understand. 
So recovering from addiction and coming to terms with addiction might be the most important journey of a person's life. And because the addict's primary relationship is with the addictive substance and everything else is secondary, only used to pursue the addictive high, the addict's safety, security, and life dreams may suffer. The tragedy of addiction is that people can lose their families, friends, money, homes, jobs, and their way of life. And the single-mindedness of the addictive pursuit prevents the addict from dealing with life in a more mature, complex, and responsible way. So one way of coming to terms with an addiction is to work, you know, with the therapist. Um, a lot of people go to inpatient programs, being part of the 12-step, whatever that might be. You got AA. There's still some CA, which is Cocaine Anonymous out there. There's NA. Um, there's sex addicts. There's Gamblers Anonymous. There's Workaholics Anonymous. There, you know, there's there's groups out there for almost anybody. And because the addiction is so entrenched in the person's behavior and one's life, that essentially an emotional issue, that individual talk theory may not provide the support someone needs to come to terms with the problem. But it can serve as a starting point. But that's where I believe the cognitive behavioral therapy can step in and really be helpful, along with the 12-step groups that I mentioned. I'm a huge advocate about referring out. If you haven't watched already, if you go on my website, which is mycognitivebehavioraltherapy.com, I went through an incredible experience regarding my eye and getting surgery at, uh, I think I was about 54. Um, and it's a video on my website called Get Out of the Box. So it's, a, it's like just five minutes to listen to, but it'll give you a really uh, good understanding of what I'm talking about. But I always refer out. So if I'm seeing someone in therapy and they you know, have a history of addiction or someone in their family, I'm always going to refer them to this 12-step group or some kind of support group to get help because you need as much support as possible, whatever end of this you're at. But the CBT can be super helpful, right? Because, you know, as I've taught you guys and talked about, is that, you know, 100% of our moods are created by our thoughts, which affects our behaviors, right? And our physical reactions and then our environment. So if you think about somebody who's dealing with an addiction, you know, what their thoughts are that, as I've spoke a little before, you know, that the high is always there. Everyone doesn't come through. Others don't understand. It's just one more time and I won't do it again. You know, or I worked really hard today. I deserve to have those beers that I want to have. Those are all your thoughts. And most of them are the hot thoughts, right? The thoughts that aren't 100% true. And to teach addicts the CBT tools to really be able to catch their thoughts when they're going through negative feelings or sad feelings or, you know, whatever their feelings are, feeling lonely, isolated, struggling with not using, you know, they're finally having to deal with their feelings and thoughts, right? Because the behavior right, is to use or to act out, whatever that is that, you know, the addict's doing. And now what am I going to do? Because I'm not going to do the same behavior. I want to be healthy. I want to be sober. So I need to understand what are my thoughts that's pushing me to that behavior? Because I'm uncomfortable with the feelings that I'm having based on how I'm thinking. And now I need to change my behavior and replace that with something and also replace my thoughts. So that's where the CBT can come in really, really handy. And a lot of People I've worked with have, you know, found it really, really beneficial. So that's where the CBT can come in. And, and the other big thing is environment. So when people get sober, there's many, many people need to change their environment. Um, my husband lived in Los Angeles and he moved down to Orange County. And that made a huge difference for him to have a new community and where he wouldn't run into people he knew that used up in LA and the temptation would be there. So him coming down to Orange County was really beneficial. And he has a great support group here in Orange County that he's had for all these years. So you want to think about your environment. You know, do I need to 
leave the community? Do I need to move out from where I'm living? Say I'm with a bunch of friends and they all party still. They might not have issues, but they are partying. I'm going to be around that. You know, I've met people that will drive to different cities to go to meetings because they don't want to bump into people that they know because they're not leaving their community. And so that's an option too. Lots of options right now. So, you know, you're not stuck because you might not be able to change the environment, but we want to look at other resources. So the first phase of recovery is to admit to the addiction. And this is very difficult for many people, as you can imagine. Some people may need to experience the loss of their life dreams and expectations before they can admit that they're addicted to a substance or activity. The addict must then make the commitment not to engage in the addictive behavior in the future. So they must move from the primitive quest for power and pleasure to more meaningful, responsible adult behaviors, which doesn't sound as fun, right? <laughs> but is really beneficial and can be just a beautiful part of your life moving forward. So part of this process is making amends to those who've been hurt by the person's addiction. Another part is to learn to draw from the nurturance and pleasure provided by other people, friends, family, and the larger community. Another is to get in touch with one's own spiritual self, if that's important to you, and the normal human desire to connect with things larger than oneself. So the addict must reach for his or her healthy self and try to stay there always. That's why you can hear, you know, not that you can, but you hear with 12-step, it's one day at a time, sometimes one moment at a time. And life becomes a series of daily choices to choose the behaviors of the healthy self and not those of the addictive self. Coming to terms with addiction, finally, means exploring the beauty, the joy, and excitement of a full and complete person that all of us have the capacity to become. So, with all that said... I hope you'll look at your own behaviors or those in your life and see if something needs to be addressed. I want to share one last part too, which is factors that can place a person at risk for addiction. So as a child, having addicted parents or other adults in your life is definitely a risk factor. I know that we've shared with our you know, own kids that you need to be mindful because there's a history of addiction with your dad and that that definitely is in the family tree when you look at people with addiction. And you go back in their family, I'd say, you know, close to 100% of the time with my clients, we find somebody somewhere that had some type of addiction. So there's a lot of science behind that. And it's just something to be mindful of that if you have someone in your family, don't assume you're going to be okay and, and just, be, just be mindful of that. As a child, having too much or too little uncertain love or discipline or safety can also be a factor for the risk of being an addict. A tendency to find others who are also addictive is a factor. Feelings of insecurity, loneliness, or being different. Difficulty using positive emotions such as love, joy, or intimacy in times of trouble is also can become risky regarding addiction. And an inability to self-reflect and self-soothe is definitely a huge factor because then you're going to look outside of yourself to self-soothe. And that's where any of these behaviors, again, remember, I'm not just talking about drugs and alcohol, but sex and gambling, TV, video games, work, you know, anything that becomes too much in your life and you have, you know, and you've lost the ability to control that and your life can become unmanageable, it's something to pay attention to. And, you know, you can get more information and read more out there, you know, with on the internet, on, you know, the AA, the big book is a great book to start. And I tell people, even if you're not the addict, but someone in your life is a good, great book to read. As I'm talking about books, there's a fabulous author. Her name is Claudia Black. She's written some excellent books. One I refer to a lot of people is called It'll Never Happen to Me. And that's for people that don't believe that 
you know, this would happen to them, especially if they've lived with a parent and they're thinking, I never want to be that person. And then they end up being an addict, alcoholic. And that book also talks about the roles, which is another podcast I can do that children take on um, when they live in a home with an addict. And people take on roles to cope. You know, it just affects everybody for years and years. There's also a 12-step group for adult children of alcoholics. So there's lots, you know, of generations that this goes through. And, and hopefully, as my husband's done, it'll stop. You know, that line of addiction and the history with where he comes from so that that won't happen with our children and it won't happen with their children and that they'll be aware of that. So there's so much great that can come out of this. There's so much growth. There's so much connecting. There's so much positive. It's not all negative. It, you know, yeah, there's been a lot of sad things that may have happened because of the choices that the addict or alcoholic makes regarding, you know, whatever the acting out is for anybody. But there's so much hope. There's so many resources. The groups, I know, uh, 12 step groups you can find on Zoom right now with COVID 19. There's lots of reach. People are still out there. You know, push comes to shove, you know, they will be there for you to reach out to their groups and they, they want you to do that. And to reach out to your own therapist or find a therapist to start that step, it's scary. Um, and again, you know, the motto of one day at a time allows you to stay present because anxiety is, you know, we're always out of the day, right? We're like, well, you know, someone will say to me, like, I can't imagine never drinking the rest of my life. And I'm like, we're not talking about the rest of your life. We're just talking about today. Let's be sober today. And let's, you know, I'm going to try to be sober tomorrow and we'll see what happens. <laughs> Right, but it's just one day at a time because otherwise you're going to overwhelm yourself with stopping whatever addictive behavior there is. So, I hope this has been a good first step in understanding, you know, what is addiction, what are different facets of it, why do people get addicted, why do they continue to use? Because you know, I hope you have understanding now of what they get out of it, and it is suppressing those emotions. You know, as I talked before with CBT, it's that band aid. Right, I have a mood, so I choose a behavior, and that's where a lot of addictions start from. Right, I don't want to feel this, so I'm going to go have a beer, or I'm going to go act out sexually, or I'm going to go play video games for seven hours, or I'm going to, you know, go shopping and spend money I don't have because you know what it makes me feel better. But the band aid is next time I don't feel good, I go back and do it again because I'm like, you know, I felt better again, and then all of a sudden this is what I'm doing, and it's overtaking and it's running my life. So. I know I could go on and on. There's just so much information regarding addiction and sobriety and getting well. Even though, of course, I would never want my husband to have suffered as he did. I found it to be a blessing in my life to have him in my life and to understand. And again, for me to have walked through the 12 steps on my own on the other side, there's the other side, which I didn't mention. I wanted to, I apologize, is, uh, you know, Al-Anon, which is for family and friends who have an addictive person in their life regarding any behaviors. And this is where you can go and reach out and be with other people that understand where you're at. So it's not all bad. You know, blessings come to us in lots of different forms and we just need to be open to that. And um, I hope this, again, will give you a first step. And also understand, as I always bring it back to, you know, my belief with the CBT is definitely the way to go and to help you make those positive changes. So as always, make decisions based on what's best for you, not how you feel. I'm grateful that you're with me and listening, and I hope to have you back here next week when we talk about something else in life that's going on that CBT can help. Stay safe and be well.
This has been another episode of my CBT podcast. You can find me on Instagram at my CBT podcast. My website is mycognitivebehavioraltherapy.com. You can find me on Facebook at Dr. Julie Osborne. If you go to Apple Podcasts, please subscribe, rate, and review. And please reach out with emails and questions that I can answer going forward. Whoa, Poe Productions.